Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I speak today to Mark Selby, nickel market commentator and also CEO of Canada Nickel Corp. We catch up with him with regards to what's happened since we last spoke. Uh, nickel prices up, copper prices up, iron ore prices up. Uh, it really is a bull market from a lot of these base metals. Uh, we talked about what's been happening in China, uh, Philippines and Indonesia as usual. North American policy from governments to incentivize uh, producers. What is a carbon tariff or incentive? What's it going to mean for investors and the companies themselves. Lots to listen to. As usual, enjoy the podcast. Mark, how are you doing, sir? I'm excellent, sir. Yeah, good, good to see you. Look, yeah. I, 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 and I apologize. I had, I had a week off last week. I had a staycation and the kids were arranging for me us to do fantastic things in light of not being able to travel. So uh, we've missed a week. Totally my fault. Um, but did anything happen while I was away? It's important to take breaks, and yes, you probably moved, you know, missed two weeks when the nickel price had its one of its major moves. But um, yeah, we're trading just under fifteen thousand dollars a ton. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and again, you know, there's the you know momentum that we've talked about. So you know, iron ore prices, you know, up to six year highs. Copper prices broke through three dollars a pound briefly. They you know, fell back in, but look like they're taking another run at it. Um, yeah, and then on the fundamental side, we're seeing you know. As I said before, you need to need to you know see different parts of the chain line up, and you've got ore prices going up, NPI prices going up, and stainless steel prices going up. So, um, you know, I think we're actually finally getting everything sort of you know lined up, and and again, that's why we're seeing prices, you know, just under fifteen thousand dollars a ton or six seventy five a pound for those who think in dollars per pound. It's it's a pretty amazing time for people investing in the mining space, or at least thinking of investing in the mining space. I even saw a BHP report talking about the commodities of the future: copper, potash, unbelievable, yeah. but it's the future, and nickel. Mm-hmm. You made it. Yes, yeah, and again, this is from you know as, as for context. You know, BHP spent most of the 2010s, in fact, you know, about seven years of that decade trying to sell their nickel business so you know again this is a full 180 degree flip um, in terms of their view on that commodity so again i would encourage you know people you know bhp's thinking this way there's a pretty good chance rio tinto's thinking this way anglo-american glencore and you know all of the other um you know mining companies further down the food chain so you know again i think uh you know they're the ones if you're going to see big takeouts happen they're the ones who have the cash to be able to do the big takeout. So the fact that those three metals made the list, uh, I think, is, is is pretty important. That's pretty pretty exciting for sure. But let's stick with the nickel thematic here. So you know, yeah. what are the? They're clearly going to be looking for scale, and they're going to be looking for grade, and they're going to be looking for the right jurisdictions. But you know, what what has the past or history taught us about the way that they go about uh, making these acquisitions? Well, so, you know, again, in, in the nickel space, if you just look, so they sort of made this shift around 2017, 2018. And so, you know, what you saw was one, they developed their Yakabindi project, which um, was just up the road from their Mount Keith operation that had operated for 25 plus years was a large scale, low grade mine. And again, that's where, you know, again, I think a lot of retail investors, you know, it's grade, 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 and it does, you know, high grade does make things easy. But you typically don't find 
30-year mine life high-grade resources anymore in a jurisdiction that any company would like to operate in. So, you know, the reality is, you know, for the majors who want, you know, multi-decade, multi-expansion type resources, it tends to be at the lower grade end of the spectrum. So they developed Yakabindi. They just bought Honeymoon Well from Norilsk, which is in the same region uh, in Australia. And again, it's another large-scale, low-grade deposit. So uh, again, you know, it's scale. They want something that they can get multiple life, multiple commodity cycles out because they know you may not get it right the first time, but if you can, you know, you still have lots of resource to pick it up the second, third, and fourth time, you know, then you've got a better chance of making money over the long term on your investment, which is, you know, what those guys are very focused on. And so which are the jurisdictions that they are most likely to be interested in? Well, you know, again, when you look at their asset portfolio today, you know, for, for BHP, Rio Tinto, it's really, you know, Australia, you know, South America, uh, and North America, you know, are, are the, you know, the vast bulk of their assets, uh, you know, again, uh, political risk, some companies, uh, so Glencore uh, has seems to be more tolerant of political risk and, and some of the larger Chinese companies that have gone abroad are also, you know, more comfortable with with the degree of political risk. But, you know, again, as we saw this week with um, uh, Northern Dynasty in the gold space in Alaska, you know, they they thought they had their permit <laughs> and then they didn't have their permit. Right. So, uh, you know, and again, it's not just a country it has to come down to an individual jurisdiction that you, you need to look at. So, you know, they don't want to have assets turn to zeros or, or great have their values greatly diminished by the decision of one, you know, one political decision, um, you know, making that happen. So, you know, if, if you look at their, you know, asset allocation breakdown, you'll see it focused in a very small handful of countries. Okay, so let's. I'm going to come back to that in, in, in a second because yeah. we've, we've had some fantastic questions uh, sent in um, by you know viewers to this. I think they, the people are appreciating getting the, the macro view of nickel, which is fantastic. But um, let's just stick with, stick with the macro for now. So, it, what's yeah. happening in the U.S. versus China? Because we, we talked previously about you know the the what's happening in China. Um, I think you're going to tell me that they've slowed down a little bit. Weather conditions. Are reducing uh, activity there, but give us give us a sense of what's going on around the globe with regards to nickel. Sure. So you know, again, right now the China reflation trade is happening. The pace of it has slowed down a little bit, but again, where you see com- you know commodities across multiple commodities, you know, setting new multi-year highs, which we have seen in a bunch of commodities that that says the reflation trade is on. Um, you know, whereas for China, Q1 was the bottom. You know, and you're seeing good quarter over quarter. And again, they've reflated so hard that you're seeing good year over year numbers. Um, you know, in the rest of the world, Q2 numbers are coming out again for, I think, most of the rest of the world outside China, Q2 is going to be the bottom. And so, again, you're going to start to see good year over year numbers start to emerge, um, you know, in, or sort of quarter over quarter numbers emerge, you know, in, in a number of jurisdictions. And so, um, yeah, no, on, on, the, on the nickel front, um, you know, with China, uh, being the bulk of stainless steel growth and the bulk of uh, both nickel supply and demand with with Indonesia, um, you know the, the 17% growth we we talked about last time, you know year over year, you know we're seeing that continued strength in August and into September. There's no no signs that that's slowing down. The fact that we're seeing you know uh, stainless steel prices went up 10% last more than 10% last week, um, you know that's a major major increase, and that says you know this 
this this rebound in demand in China is not going to slow down anytime soon. So uh, it, it's it's a very good sign for where the nickel market head, is headed before year end. And iron ore as well. Oh, prices are six six and a half year highs. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. No, and again, it's 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 again. China is trying to reflate their economy, gone to the same playbook that they've done, you know, multiple times over the past two or three decades. And, and uh, you know, again, it's it's trends for, you know, for those of us in the commodity space, it's it's, uh, you know, it's a welcome push. And, and it looks like it's going to be you know, continue to be sustained, um, you know, through the end of the year and beyond at this point. So that's incredible. We had a company on um, last week called Ideanomics. It's uh, listed on mm-hmm. NYSE, but they have got huge access into China. Their business is in China, and they're talking about the EV thematic in China, and it kind of gives a real sense of what's going on there. We're talking about uh, retrofitting existing trucks, lorries, large you know, carrying vehicles, buses, you name it, and they're retrofitting those. Going from yeah. you know um, uh, moving moving them all to battery uh, driven vehicles, some of them being converted into autonomous vehicles. It's kind of exciting to see, but also one hundred thousand electric vehicle charging points across China. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. insane, and they're going to be doing this by twenty twenty two, folks. So, yeah. and when the Chinese say we're going to do it, it gets done. You know? Yes. So yeah, there, yeah, yeah. there's some benefits yeah. living in a, in a sort of state-controlled environment. Authoritarian, yeah, regime where the punishment can be pretty severe for not uh, achieving a goal. No, that's the part. And I think the other really key piece of this. I mean, we all focus on cars and Teslas, but you know, when you look at the entire vehicle market, you know, um, you know, the city of Shenzhen had electric all an all-electric bus fleet, you know, a year or two years ago. So. Um, you know, that whole shift in, in the whole range of vehicle fleets. And again, you know, the, the battery that's going to be in a bus is, is much, much larger than it is for a car. Now, given the distance that a lot of buses travel, you're going to see a lot of lithium iron phosphate be used in those applications because they, do, they don't need to drive 500 miles. You know, they're doing a relatively short loop for a certain number of hours a day. Um, so, you know, so, so, you know, that's not going to translate directly into all nickel demand. But again, when you get to, you know, the, the Tesla, you know, semi truck, and you're going to see semi trucks elsewhere in the world end up shifting to electric, you know, those are going to be great big, uh, you know, long range, lots of nickel batteries um, that are coming down the pipe. So, you know, again, that's where, um, you know, really, you know, automobiles are really just the tip of the iceberg, you know, and you've got, you know, buses, trucks, and a whole bunch of other vehicle fleets underneath it um, that are, you know, coming to the front. The other part is uh, California, there's a news you know, story that uh, there was power outages, you know, and they're talking about having, you know, more battery storage uh, in their grids to be able to balance the loads because of solar and wind don't always, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow when you want it to. And, and so, um, they had to do that in South Australia. Tesla put a big, you know, a bat, set of battery packs in there. You're seeing that happen in now and talking about it more in California. And again, you'll see as renewables become a bigger share of the grid, having having these kind of batteries to help balance out some of those loads is going to become more important. Again, not always nickel. You know, there's other there's other technologies that are very suitable for you know standalone storage, but you know, nickel will be a part of that. And again, it's just one more you know, battery application that's, that's going to need a lot of more nickel in the future. That's phenomenal. Yeah, we, we were talking to someone else last week with regards to the, the black ads in, in California last week. And obviously, I think it was mm-hmm. in the context of nuclear because, you know, there's one of the nuclear plants or reactors, um, G2, basically, I think, I think 
think it's in two years' time or three years' time, is basically to be shut down unless they apply for an extension. But it doesn't look like they're, they're likely to. Be, and, that, and that's the point here is that there's lots. And when you when I was talking to this dynamics group um, about the the number of vehicles, the charging points, etc., the, the big topic was around. Um, different types of energy provision solutions, yep. right? I mean, and, and that, yep. and once you start to try to understand the way that the Chinese are approaching uh, this, it, you know, from from nuclear, from you know, hydro, and uh, you know, all the conventional forms of energy energy production, including that that well, they're trying to phase out coal. Um, you certainly appreciate the additional amount of energy they believe is going to be required to charge their battery driven fleets of cars, lorries, trucks, buses, and the rest, let alone homes for domestic use. Yeah. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. But it, it, what it does is gives you some clues as to the amount of uh, nickel and copper and lithium and graphite. And, when, when, and I do appreciate your point. There are going to be different yeah. batteries for different solutions, and there's going to be different designs um, out there. But it's all of the above, not some of the above. That's going to be required, right. and, and that's that, that that's again sort of ties back to the earlier comment in terms of BHP's view on future-facing metals. You know, they're not you know they're not looking at this as a two-year trade in nickel and copper and potash. You know, they're you know the they, they think in multi-decades. You know, and so you know this is a theme that they think isn't you know when they say publicly like this, that this is where their commodity focus is going to be. This will be where their commodity focus is, not just for the next year or so, but you know, in their mind, if they've done it right, this is something that they'll be focused on for the next 10 to 20 years. Now, I, yeah, I, I think it's interesting times, but we're going through a process now of just trying to understand all the moving parts necessary to put this together. And when you start talking to some of these big players who do things like your BHPs in terms of their planning, like the Chinese Chinese government and um, even big players like Tesla, you know, doing their you know hundred hundred megawatt battery in a hundred days. I think it was to prove a point about their ability to solve problems. It, it in itself wasn't a big battery, but it is what it showed okay. the potential could be. Uh, I, I, you know, you start to get a sense of how quickly this thing's coming down. We we have talked about uh, you know, automotive industry investing three hundred billion to five hundred billion in terms of their own ecosystems, and you know, which sounds impressive, but it's nothing in the scheme of what governments are doing all around the world today. Because yeah. they know what's coming coming down the line, and as we as an investors looking at this and going, oh, I, you know, I, these companies are just kind of promoting. They're talking the story of nickel demand. Of course, they've got they've got to to kind of persuade us. But I don't think we're seeing it yet, um, but oh, haven't been seeing it yet. But I think people are awakening up to the fact that actually, this COVID thing is not getting in the way of these demand of these plans because they're. Been doing this for five, ten years in some cases, getting ready for this moment. Yeah, and, and again, you know the, you know, I, I know the gold bugs are all dancing around doing the happy dance, knowing that you know gold would get to two thousand dollars an ounce. Um, for, you know, for some people, it only took twenty years longer than they said it was going to. But you know, the reality is, is if you look at the copper equities and the nickel equity, you know, the copper equities performing since we talked in mid-May, 
you know, and then the nickel equities just in the last three or four weeks, if you bought companies like Giga or FBX, you know, or as a Canada nickel, you know, in the last three months, you know, you're, you're up, you know, as much or more than, than if you had, had, had that gold stock. So, and again, this is, those are not typical moves. You always see these big moves at the start of a cycle. And then you, you know, again, you see a couple more big moves in the cycle before things peak out and roll over again. But uh, again, it's fun to get in early. Um, and, you know, there's still lots of money to be made between now and the top of this next cycle. Okay, you're, you're, you're trying to poke a bear there, are you? Is that what you're doing with gold bucks? You just trying... oh no, I just love, I just love the... just, just okay, just saying, just saying, okay, okay, I understand. Uh, let's let's do it. let's 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 uh, let's again let's just stick with the, um, the the macro here. I'm interested in how governments are going to react to this. We've talked about the fact that they're building these big ecosystems ecosystems for their, for themselves but as an investor what I'm trying to understand is what are they doing in terms of some sort of trickle down economics for mining companies for instance in terms of you know environmental regulations i re- relief uh, on those or or tariffs um or you know you know repatriating supply chains or you know how do you get involved with, you know, government subsidies? Th- those sorts of things. Are you seeing anything in North? I mean, I know you're Canada, but North America generally, are, are some of those things coming? Are g- going to come to the aid of, you know, junior miners? Oh no, very much so. I'll give you a very concrete example. Is, um, you know, in the in my decade during my past life, advancing Dumont at uh, RNC, you know, um, there was a certain amount of attention, but. You know, again, with the EV shift and the, the realization that there's a bunch of strategic metal supply chains that countries really need to f- focus on. And so, um, you know, uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was uh, representatives of the U.S. government uh, who were involved in strategic sourcing said, hey, we want to get to know your company. We want to get to know your project because, you know, this is something and again, this is something that's not just Republican or just Democrat. You know, this is this is a bipart a rare bipartisan support initiative to be able to look at securing those metals which the United States deems strategic to their interests. Um, nickel has always been, um, you know, one of the metals that has has fallen into this category. So, um, you know, that um, you know that in itself, um, you know, is 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 uh, tremendous. That there are levers of government that are willing to you know, uh, work to help you um, as opposed to, um, you know, um, slow things down or, or create bureaucracy or something like that. I mean, you know, the nice thing with a project, and again, I really encourage investors to focus on jurisdiction. You know, there are, you know, mining is a risky enough business to start with. Um, having a politician make a decision which can, you know, vastly, you know, impact the value of your asset is is very challenging. So again, we saw that with Northern you know, Northern Dynasty just earlier this week. So, you know, the, the good what, what thing is- What do you mean by that? Talk, is, talk about that, what happened there? Yeah, so they, you know, they've been looking to advance a very, it's one of the world's largest gold and copper deposits. Uh, unfortunately, it's sitting um, in close proximity to a, a sensitive salmon fishery um, that, you know, um, you know, there's a, a number of people who are quite concerned about the possible impact of that mining operation on that fishery. 
um, and, and a surrounding environment. And so, you know, it's been back and forth for a number of decades and it looked like it was going ahead. And then, and then there was an announcement this week that, you know, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, who, who was responsible for granting a certain permit, said, oh, we, we need to have some more information and we need to understand how you might mitigate some of the impacts, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, again, um, you know, being in a, you know, I would encourage investors to look at where an operation is and see, okay, have they recently permitted a number of mines in that area? Or, you know, is this the first new mine in 50 years? Or is this the first mine ever in this jurisdiction? You know, because it just creates that level of risk that, you know, there, you know, again, there, there may be some, um, some issues with the community or, you know, so forth. Um, you know, the local stakeholders um, who, again, are going to be impacted for many decades. We in the mining industry did a horrible job, um, you know, for a very long period of time in terms of taking that for granted and, you know, literally abusing it. Um, you know, today the industry has come a long way, but, you know, we can never take it for granted. You know, you know, you know, we, we need to, to really, you know, make note of the fact that we have an impact and we need to own our impacts, you know, on, on the local community, on the local environment and do everything in our power to make sure that our projects, you know, minimize those impacts to the maximum extent possible or mitigate them to the maximum. Well, let's, let's talk about that. There was a Bloomberg article yeah. came out last week. Okay. When I was yeah. on my staycation, but I still read mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah. And the, the headline was Elon Musk is going to have a hard time finding clean nickel. And basically they go through a series of, examples where um you know there are because we, we talked in the past about clean nickel versus dirty nickel and all sorts mm -hmm. of like dumping and deep sea toxic waste and you know there's also some right practices in mining which need to be addressed okay and they go out and quite nicely say well actually here's a whole bunch of different forms of pollution that miners yeah. need to be held responsible and accountable for so you know and and, and I, I guess in the context of you know, our, our uh, discovery around ESG and, you know, you've got your own net zero uh, carbon uh, initiative going on. I mean, did you see that article, first of all? Yeah, no, I did. And I, and I thought they did an excellent job. You know, we, we highlighted in the release where we talked about net zero carbon, because, again, you know, we think we're going to have a relatively low footprint in a number of areas. Um, but that, is, you know, that is the real crux of the issue, not to use <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of nickel is you know, when you start looking at and say, okay, let's take out all of that source of supply of nickel that has a high SO2 footprint, you know, and a certain amount of production disappears. Let's take, you know, all of the, the uh, nickel that has, you know, deep sea tailings discharge, um, you know, that's associated with it. There's another block of nickel. You know, what we've been talking about before is, okay, how much of this production has a very high carbon footprint associated with that? And you cross that one off the list. And, and by the time you're finished crossing off from each source of pollution, there's, re there's really not a lot of, of nickel supply left, um, you know, that's relatively low footprint at this point in time. So, you know, again, I think that's the real opportunity, not just in nickel, but across the entire entire sector. Like, you know, mining companies, you know, need to not, to, again, talk about it in a 2050 timeframe, but, you know, get going and, and really look for those opportunities where you have an ability to create a net carbon or low, car low carbon um, mining operation. Um, and that needs to be, you know, a key part of your checklist going forward in terms of those assets you're going to look at acquiring. That's interesting, Mark. Um, but I also read a piece from my fund manager who's mm -hmm. saying at the end of the day, when we are out of some of these commodities, whether it's clean, whether it's dirty, won't matter. We need it and it'll get it'll get produced. It will get mined. 
So yeah. what are you saying? You're saying like um, this kind of clean nickel, dirty nickel conundrum is fine right now when you can control that uh, and you can take advantage of that. Well, that you can what, charge a premium for it or something? I mean, how's it work? Yeah, no, I think where, where it's going to be is, is this sort of first step is a preference. So if I have, you know, nickel from two suppliers or metal from two suppliers, one is low carbon, one is high carbon, I will always choose the low carbon alternative first. And if I run out of that, then I'll, I will use the other one grudgingly. Uh, I think the second thing, and I think that, you know, the, the kind of mechanisms that the EU is looking at in terms of carbon taxes and, and, and sort of equalizing, you know, or charging for, you know, importing materials that have a high, high carbon footprint attached to them. I mean, to me, that's, you know, again, with our net zero initiative is, is quite exciting because when you know if they're going to have effectively a, you know one of the one of the structures they're looking at is a value added tax you know based on the carbon carbon added tax basically on how much carbon's coming in um, and so you know all of a sudden if instead of okay well it's the same price um, and I'll choose one versus the other as a preference which again I think is the first step then you move into oh well okay if I import this one I have to pay a 15% you know, carbon added tax, you know, to the EU. And if I import your product, then that comes in at a 0% tax, you know, that allows me as a supplier to capture, you know, as much of that 15% or whatever the, the you know, that tax is going to look like gap as a premium as a supplier. So, you know, that's where the global markets are headed. And so again, those companies that are able to get in early and grab that those small, those handful of assets where you can do this, you know, then, you know, they're great chip. And again, I think since that article's come out, you've seen companies like Giga and First Point um, that, again, have a nickel hosted in similar mineralization that we do, um, that, you know, that has that zero carbon potential, you know, you know, all have all done very well in the past few weeks here. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, so I think we need more guidance from the governments on, you know, the the environmental taxes or tariffs or reliefs or how they're going to go about managing and capturing um, that to get, a, you know, for you guys to get a sense of what your economics could be or how much better they could be as a, as a result. I mean, yeah, it's early days, I guess, but yeah. are you guys, like, band, is, there, is there a kind of band of people that are lobbying or talking to government or state to sort of try and understand what the, the world could look like going forward? Because it's all just theory at the moment. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is all it is just theory. Um, and, and again, you you know, the, the key thing to do is, you know, to advance your project in a timeline, given the regulatory framework that exists and being sensitive to that regulatory framework could exist, you know, could change fairly dramatically. So, you know, again, you know, our net zero approach is, you know, again, because of the unique nature of the rock and the location um, and the ability uh, to potentially process downstream, uh, you know, allows us to take advantage of that. But um, by focusing on that, I don't have to worry about, oh, if the government slaps on a massive carbon tax on diesel fuel, because I'm going to be using less diesel fuel than most other nickel mining operations. You know, if if the governments decide that, okay, I'm going to, you know, if, if you are responsible for generating downstream carbon, you know, I'm going to somehow go after you for that um, because you made a profit on that. Um, you know, again, I'm not going to have to worry about that. So, you know, for us, having that net zero focus from day one just allows us to minimize the risk of any changes in government policy, 
you know, going forward. So, um, okay, but I like, and I don't want to make us too much about. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. you know, you're talking about what you've got, but I'm just, just generally as an investor, am I looking for companies who are capable of charging a premium? For having a cleaner product, whether it be nickel or, or you know, or, or other kind of base metals, um, because you know, I'm going to as an investor, I present, presumably we get some kind of uplift if there is sort of some general kind of carbon tax that kind of comes in or tariffs, etc. Yeah, I would say uh, to be honest, at this point, I would treat a premium as a possible upside, but not sort of, sort of that you have to get the premium to get there. You know, I, I get you know that's you know that's the way I would think about it. And, and again, given sort of the winds are blowing in, in, in that direction. Um, you know, you are more likely to get better returns if you are sort of, you know, going, you know, trying not to run into the wind um, to, 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 you know, to get a return on your investment. Any thoughts you want to leave us with with regards to nickel? Sure. So I've mean, been talking about each week in terms of sort of that real key triangle that's going to determine where prices are going by year end. So, you know, it's Chinese demand. It's Philippine ore supply and it's Indonesian NPI production. And so, you know, what's really tipped the scale this week and why you saw another major move in nickel prices over the last two weeks is that, you know, again, that big surge in, in Chinese nickel demand that we saw in June looks like it's going to carry through, um, you know, easily through the fall. Uh, we had a stat come out that said Philippines, the nickel content of Philippine ore supply had dropped by double digits during the first half. Um, and so now Indonesian NPI production, you know, again, when people are looking at their forecasts, it's a big ramp up. But given what they're seeing on the other two parts of the triangle, they're not sure that um, it's going to be able to ramp up enough to fill that gap. So, um, you know, I would say where I was fairly cautious a few weeks ago, you know, the, the balance is tilting around to, you know, where I think we've seen a nice price move. And, and, I, and I think from here, rather than stepping back, as I talked about before, I think we've got flat to higher upside from here, depending on, on how... Uh, you know, or, or supply continues over the next few weeks here from the Philippines. Fundamentals, Mark, back to fundamentals. And something That's what which I it. need, to, it, it's true. I mean, it's, it's starting to build up quite quite nicely, like a, like a lot of commodities, but uh, it's a nice picture being painted. Can you do me a favor? Sure. Can you say hello to Adelaide? She is a big fan of this and she watches the show every week. And I'd like you to just give her a wave, please. Hi, Adelaide. Um, hi from uh, Matt and Mark. And uh, hopefully we'll both be out in Saskatchewan at some point in time. Well, there you go. So, Adelaide, that, that one's for you. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show today. Let us know if we did anything wrong. Um, and, Mark, thanks very much for your time. I, pre- I do appreciate that. Um, it's, 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 it's a great feedback. We're getting lots of positive feedback um, on the show. Some great questions sent in. We've got a few sent in about your company, which is uh, Canada Nickel Corp., which maybe pick up the next time you're on the on on the show. Um, sure. And maybe to help us try and understand, you know, what net zero carbon is how you can prove it, what you know today, and you know what you're going about trying to discover about what you've got there. So we'll see you again next week, shall we? Sounds good. See you then, Matt. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.